And as I was praying about what the Lord wanted me to speak about this morning, um, I, I have to start before I do another thing and simply give him the praise and the thanks for the fact that this word came together because uh, yesterday we had some stumbling blocks that were put in our place, uh, put in my path that, that caused me some caused me some frustration, and I will be the first to admit as I get ready to close this message out, I, I, it spoke to me, and, and I think the Lord had that happen yesterday for me to see how he wanted me to finish the message out. Um, so I told Ashley, I only have about seven pages of notes and about 15 minutes, so we're going to try to kind of cramp. No, I'm just, I do have seven pages of notes, but I'm going to do the best I can to um, not, not go over too long. Um, as I was praying to the Lord about what he wanted me to speak about, he, he kind of spoke to me and said, what better way when you're talking about Youth Sunday and children's ministry, but to actually show the congregation what a message in youth ministry on Wednesday nights look like. Um, So this is actually a message that I have kind of worked on a little bit, but this is something that we actually spoke about in youth one Wednesday night. So Kenan's going to bring up Matthew 25, 1 through 13. I'm going to be reading out of God's word. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to them, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, rather go rather to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the doors were shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So as I was talking to the youth, we were actually doing a um, middle school lesson about the parables and about what the hidden meanings were and how the parables were Jesus' way of speaking to people who wanted to know more about what he was saying. It's not meant to be easily understood just by reading the word. So I told the youth when we were in the class that I felt like the parable of the ten virgins was probably one of the coolest parables in, in, in God's word. The hidden meanings behind it there are so powerful. So in order to really understand, though, what that hidden meanings are and what that looks like, you have to kind of understand some Jewish culture. So if I say these words wrong, which I've probably am going to. I apologize in advance because I'm not well versed in, uh, in these words, so I'm going to kind of do the best I can. Um, the Jewish culture of marriage looks very different than what we today have in American culture. Um, first of all, the uh, biblical times, the groom's father actually chose the bride. Okay, so understand that and keep that in your mind as we unravel some of these meanings. The groom's father, okay, chose the bride, all right? So uh, after after the bride was chosen, you then ended up with a ketbah, I believe is how you say that, and that is the written contract of marriage, Uh, that is the groom's promise to support the bride and the bride's stipend 
of the contents of her dowry. Uh, dowry, I'm sorry. Okay, so that's a written piece of paper that says we are going to be married. All right. After that written piece of paper is done, then you have the mohar, which is the bridal payment. And this is where I want you to really start to, to hear what I have to say. Okay, the mohar is the bridal payment. It is a gift paid by the groom. It changes the status of the bride, and listen to this very closely, and sets her free from her parents' household, okay? Listen to the words of that. Sets her free from her parents' household. All right, so what does that image bring to your mind? And uh, this was kind of open discussion at that time with the youth. Um, To me, it reminds me of Jesus on the cross, okay? As he shed his blood, his gift of his blood was given so that we may also be set free from the burdens of sin, Okay, so understand as we're going along here, this is all building the story here. Now, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of coming into the supernatural play. The groom's father has chosen his bride. Okay, so the groom's father has chosen his bride, and the bridal payment has been given through Christ's blood on the cross. Okay, all right. Then you enter, after the mohar is received, then you enter a time called the, and I'm going to butcher this, I apologize in advance, the erusin, uh, and I'll just spell that E-Y-R-U-S-I-N, all right? That is an actual betrothal period. That is a period of time that once the contract is done and the payment has been received, and that's also known as a kedushim, which means sanctification or set apart. Okay, so get in your mind there. That is the period where the bridegroom and the bride are set apart from one another during the betrothal, okay? So again, we have the father of the groom choosing the bride and the payment being paid on the cross, and now we are entering into a time of being separated, okay? All right, before this, a ceremony is done to express the intentions of becoming betrothed that that would take place, all right? The bride and the groom would share a cup of wine to seal the betrothal. So I'm going to read out of Luke 22, 19 through 21. And he took bread, and he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. This is Jesus in that ceremony sharing the cup of wine with what would be his bride. Okay, so he knows that that bridal price is going to be paid and he knows that he is going to be set apart from his chosen bride for a period of time. And he is, pay, he, he is honoring that betrothal with the sharing of the cup of wine. After that, a bridal gift is then also given um, that follows this ceremony where the groom returns home to fulfill his obligations. This happens before he returns home, that he would give his bride a gift to remind her of his love for him, for her, during their separation. John 14 and 16 tells us, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He recognizes that he's got to leave through that betrothed period, and there's a gift that is to be given, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to be with us, to remind us of his love during the time of his separation. During the response, and this is just the coolest to me, I'm sorry, I get ghost bumps every time I come to this part. 
during the part of being set up set apart during the betrothal, there's a responsibility that takes place, okay? The groom would focus in on a dwelling place for himself and his new bride. This was not done by building a new house, but by adding an additional room onto his father's home, okay? And again, this is Jewish custom. So John 14 and 2 tells us, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Okay, so Jesus is following Jewish custom by saying, I'm going home to daddy, and I'm going to add on a room for you, just like custom dictated in our marriage, okay? But it's even better than that, because it also was not his job, the bride's job, to say when the room was ready, okay? It was not the, bride, uh, the groom's job to say. That was based on the father of the groom saying when the room was ready and when he could go retrieve his bride. The groom's father would make that determination and give him the go-ahead to go retrieve his bride. Matthew 24 and 36 tells us, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Okay? So he is telling his people, I can't come back until my daddy tells me that this place is ready for you. Okay, I am up here, and I'm building a room for you, and when he says it's ready, then I'm coming back to get you, okay? All right, so now we're going to look into Matthew 25, 1 through 5, and I'm going to break this down, and I'm going to try to go through this fairly quickly. So now you all have a pretty good understanding of, of this, this parable background, okay? So let's look. 25, 1 through 5 tells us, And the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamp and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Okay, because in Jewish custom, the bride had no idea when the day or the hour of the groom's return was going to happen. It was her job while he was preparing a place to just stay prepared. She would, in most cases, sleep with her veil and her lamp and her oil by her bed because it could be in the middle of the night or it could be in the middle of the day. She did not know. So it was imperative that she be ready and be prepared for his return when that time comes. Um, The bridal party was also to be prepared with their lamps and their oil, okay? And it wasn't just for celebration purposes. That served an actual purpose. The bridal party's role was to light the way between the bride's house and her honeymoon place, which is where the, bri- the, the groom had gone to, to prepare room, okay? So these oils and these lamps were imperative that you keep them ready because you had a responsibility, you had a role. It was not just to have some, some light along the way. It served a purpose. So you had to be prepared and you had to be ready. And what this word is telling us is that some of them were and some of them were not. Okay? Matthew 25, 6 and 7 says, But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Those all, um, then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Okay, I did not realize this, but that, and, and I actually did a little study and a little research. Custom actually shows that that happened in a marital party in Jewish custom, that they would send a bridegroom's uh, party ahead to holler through the streets, behold, the bridegroom comes. 
He's coming for you. Be ready. Okay, the bridesmaids were chosen to help the bride prepare, but serve to light the path once the bridegroom was announced that he was coming. All right. To do this, they would need to ensure that their lamps were, were trimmed, the wicks were trimmed, and that the oil was enough to make it from her home to his, okay, because these were not lamps like what you're thinking of. These were actual torch-type lamps that burned through a lot of oil, okay. In this parable, there were five girls who were very wise and prepared, and they had their lamps and their oil ready, okay. So keep in mind what we have, have been talking about based on the custom up until this point, all right. There were five of these bridegroom, I'm sorry, five of these bridal party ladies who were ready, Okay, there were five that were not ready. They had their lamps, but they did not have enough light, enough oil to light the way. Matthew 20, uh, 25, 8 and 9 tells us, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, rather go out to the dealers and buy for yourself. When the bridegroom came, when he arrived, they were trying to get oil from the ones that were ready, okay? So I want you to kind of get in your mind here who our bridegroom is and when he comes back, what that's going to look like, okay? There are going to be people who are going to try to take what we know to be truth, what we know to have been prepared with, and try to, I I hate to say piggyback on our coattails, but in some ways that's the image that I have from that, okay? Okay? And it's imperative that we try to get people ready now, not at the last minute. Um, They were afraid that they would not have enough oil, and the wise girls sent them out to local merchants, which delayed their journey. Okay? All right. Now, Matthew 10 through 12 says, And while they were going out to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Because of the delay, the um, unwise girls that were sent to a merchant found themselves at a shut door. And when they knocked on that door, they were told by the bridegroom, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Because you weren't part of the bridal party. You weren't ready. You weren't there. So I don't know you. So let's flip over to Matthew 7 and 23. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That to me has got to be one of the scariest scriptures in the entire word. Okay, understand that this is the image that this parable is trying to get across. That if we are not ready, if we are not wise and prepared, this could be our fate to where we get there and knock on that door. And Lord Jesus looks at us and says, I don't know you. I never knew you. Depart from me. And I don't know about you, but that leaves a sickening feeling in the pit of my stomach to imagine Lord Jesus looking at you and saying, I don't know you. I never knew you. I'm going to kind of tie this up in in a nice little bow if I can. Um, As I watched Charlie and Amadis get married and celebrate their love um, a few weeks ago, that's when God started pouring this message out to me again and, and brought it kind of to the front of my mind. 
And I, I recognized myself in all the different roles that were part of the wedding ceremony. And I think we could probably all identify. You have the flower girl and the ring bearer. You have the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, the bride and the groom, the workers. And then you have the congregation, the observers. They're all different roles. And we've all at one time or another been in different places in a wedding ceremony. I have been a flower girl where I had nothing but just joy and excitement and energy and just awe at the beautiful dress that the bride had and just the celebration of the love that was between the bride and groom and just no understanding of responsibilities, no understanding of bills and and marital problems and family drama and none of that, Just, just the excitement of the day. I've been in that place. I've also been a bridesmaid, which I kind of compare to our youth and our young adults, where they're part of something, but they've not experienced it themselves. They're standing there, and they're witnessing other people enjoy this ceremony, this this joining, but they've not experienced it themselves. And I've been in that place too. And what I find is as you get older from the flower girl up to the bridesmaids, that's when the world starts happening. You lose that innocence because then you're standing here with the bride and you understand bills and you understand responsibility and you understand marital hardships. And you're like, whoa, are you sure you're making the right decision? Because that is a lot of burden to take on. Okay, so you're, you're questioning. You're questioning. I've also been the bride where you recognize the responsibilities of that joining. You recognize the, the burdens that come with it, but the love outweighs it. It makes it worth it. It makes the joining all worth it. But the place that I found myself in, and this is how I'm going to kind of wrap it up, the place that I found myself in during Charlie and Amadis' wedding is of the worker, Okay, I directed their wedding. I was their wedding director slash somewhat planner. Um, Amadis had pretty much everything planned, and Charlie so organized, all he pretty much had to do was give me a piece of paper with everything lined out and outlined and timed and date stamped and everything else. But So I really didn't have to work too, too hard. But that day was full of a lot of work. Um, it takes a lot of work to get a wedding together and stay on time and everything like that. And what I found myself doing was almost at the place where I forgot to enjoy the wedding. I found myself having to stop at the back of the church during the ceremony and say, wait a minute, if you keep running around, you're going to miss the service. You're going to miss the joining of this couple, okay? What I relate that to is how many of us are so busy working at being Christians that we forget to enjoy it. How many of us are so busy working at ministry, ministering or even sharing the word with others that we forget to enjoy when little Grace and Isaac find salvation? I mean, we, we clap and we raise our hands and, and we praise, but are we really understanding that that's some big stuff? That is powerful stuff. And we get so involved in the actual act of ministering that sometimes we forget that. That was the place that I found myself. But I ask you this, how many of us are so busy with the, the responsibilities of life that we forget to enjoy a relationship with Christ, period? 
So many are so busy with the responsibilities of our job and of a family and the the things that come with it that we forget to find time for Christ. We forget to to, to mark that into our calendar and into our schedule. I'm going to bounce back over to Matthew 7 and 21, and I want you to hear all of this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen to that last couple of words, you workers of lawlessness. God recognized in his word that these are people who are working. They're working real hard. They're working real hard, but are they working for the right reasons? And that's why God spoke to me through this as I found myself, I was working real hard at Charlie and Amadis' wedding, but I didn't stop to enjoy it and are we in that same place where we're working really 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 hard at having a relationship with Christ but we're working so hard that we're forgetting to actually enjoy the relationship with Christ so as Kenan brings up Matthew 25 and 13 and uh, as Ashley prepares to come and close I just want to leave you with this last thought and this last question um The scripture says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And I ask you, let's assume today is the day. And let's assume that this is the hour. Where are you at? What what role are you playing right now? Do you have that innocence in your faith, in your relationship with Christ? Do you have that childlike excitement with Christ? Are you like some of our teens who know there's there's this this relationship but are not quite sure they're ready to commit they're not right sure that they're ready to make that commitment are you in the place where you're the bride where you are engrossed in your relationship with Christ and you just want more or are you like me where I was at where I'm a worker and I was so busy working that I forget from time to time to enjoy him I ask you that, and once you identify where you're at, where your stage is, I want you to stop and think for just a minute. Again, remember, you know neither the day nor the hour. What is your thought to Christ looking at you and saying, depart from me, I never knew you?